0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Easton. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of June, Miles Kingston, who I spoke to to find out more about life, love, poetry and all the other groovy stuff. Was in the post-punk band, the Mo but also... Played with everything but the girl, Fun Boy 3, also the communards and worked again with people like Big Country, Micro Disney and lots of others, which you're going to find out more about in this interview. So after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. June, it's over to you.
1: Oh, completely. Yeah, completely. I was still at school. Uh, I stayed on at school, much to the chagrin of my parents who thought I should be out working. Um, I stayed on to sixth form. And in the sixth form, we, our school um, joined forces with a boys' school, which was very exciting. And I had my first sort of serious boyfriend then. And he came from a Jamaican family. So, I mean, a lot of the kids then were like the influx from, you know, their the parents that had moved over were now at our school, and it was just a, like a light, a ray of light in my life, like the music and the kind of, you know, that community thing. We, I came from a background where East End of London, where we all love music. My mum sang, my dad sang, we all sang. We went to the pubs all the time, but there was just this kind of freshness about all that, you know, that kind of reggae feel and. And then I got into, I was very much into soul and Tandler and all that kind of music. So I think that was the start. And then I started working at Mr. Byright's part time on a weekend, which is great because you work with all blokes. It's good fun. And um, they introduced me to glam rock from there, really.
0: Perfect. Yes. Mr. Byrite. I've I've never, I've, I completely forgot about Mr. Byrite, actually. <laughs> it was like, oh, yes. We remember. Um,
1: and yeah. Yeah. That was a big part of my grown up history. Yeah.
0: Yes. So were your parents very, um, had they lived or your grandparents, had they been there during the war period?
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. My mum and dad were both ev- ev- evacuated. I grew up, uh, I was born 55. So I grew up quite close to, to that period. And we lived on an old market in a kind of bombed-out house for the first three or four years of my life. Uh, it sounds disgusting, but it wasn't. Of course, we made it gorgeous. But, you know, it was that whole playing on a site thing for us as kids. So um, it was great because you really got a mixture of different backgrounds around you all the time, lots of influx of refugees and things. And so it made the world a better place for me.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's interesting, isn't it, because you had, you had bomb... Bom- bomb dumps or or sort of bombed out places and we I grew up more in the 70s and we we had an aerodrome in this village that I grew up in a second world war aerodrome which was where we went and played and threw lumps of cement off you know places and it was yes it was very good I mean there was occasional tragic story which you know wasn't good but uh, you know generally it was a it was a great playground for people. So you obviously had a, a, a musical moment. Did you, what was your first gig you went to then? Because this would have been the early 70s, oh, I, I can guess. Tell you
1: that. Yeah, I can tell you that. It was the East Ham Granada and I saw Desmond Decker.
0: Blimey, this is very Although clear, I, didn't
1: see, I didn't see it very clearly because I was too shy to wear my glasses.
0: Yes, it's, it's uh-huh. um, in, those, in those days wearing glasses was kind of a form of abuse, really. wasn't it really?
1: Yeah, really geeky. Especially when it's on the first date.
0: Yes, this is true, actually. So did you so you were you actually stayed on for sixth form to do A levels?
1: Yeah. In I did. the in
0: the in those days, anyone who did an A level was probably yeah. going to be some sort of like, wow, such a clever clogs. What did you what yeah. were your main subjects?
1: Art, of course, art and English. Right. Yeah, I was just so um I thought I loved I'm one of those weird people that did actually love school. I just loved the community of it, and there I was just so lucky to have three or four amazing teachers that really opened up stuff for me like a good music teacher and a good art teacher and I didn't want to leave that behind for a while, you know
0: no um, absolutely
1: couldn't, couldn't afford really I found I couldn't afford I didn't even know what university was, nobody told me about that um asked for certainly not, and so, but I did find out about the local college, so I went to the local college to do art right first, so and that's how I got into music, of course, because yes. I'm just musicians and vice versa.
0: And what was your subject, uh, not subject, but what was your bit of art that you loved particularly? What um, were you?
1: Awesome. Oh, I, when I first went, I went, I, after I did my foundation at East Ham Tech, which was brilliant, I kind of wanted to do photography and graphics. I was very much a visual kind of person and like loved all the Russian graphics, you know, those kind of strong, bold graphic key stuff
0: yeah
1: um, do stuff like that. and I thought it might be a good idea to go off to fashion school. so I did that at first, which is a total total disaster um but it made me go backwards again and do graphics, which was good and that's when I started playing music.
0: yes and you did what why, why the why, why the instrument that you ended up doing was that something that was just there in the corner
1: oh, fluke. absolute absolutely well, I'll tell you the story about it quickly. I was um, while I was at art school. I was living with a guy called Jim Hill who was a filmmaker and he was going out to the National Film School every day and I'd sometimes hop on the bus at Notting Hill with him and go out for the day because I'd help students with their costumes or their sets or whatever that's that's what I was interested in and I met Julian Temple who was just about to start making a film with Malcolm McLaren about the Sex Pistols the great rock and roll swindle you remember yes and I was a I was a a production assistant on that for getting on for a year so I met all the boys in the band it was my one of my jobs was to get them all to the set every day um which was interesting when Sid got got to bring Nancy over yes that yeah that was really hard work but Paul came into the uh office one day and needed some cash and we didn't have any cash and he said uh, oh do you know anyone who wants to buy an old drunket? kit and I said uh, oh I'll buy it because I've got two brothers and I thought well you know so I gave him forty pounds. Uh, that's what he wanted. And uh, at the time, I'd just moved into a squat with Kate, who used to be in the Slits and then joined the Modettes. We formed. We kind of all formed together the Modettes. But I was living in the squat with Kate. Strummer was in the same squat. Lots of different people were coming in and out. So I don't know why I just said to Paul, "Can you put it up in the basement and show me how to put it together?" And so I used to sh- play along with um, Steve from the Sex Pistols or Joe or whoever was down there. I just used to tap along to them and I just realised I could do it. It was really funny. It was just so natural, like driving or something.
0: That is handy. Because actually I just now remember about a month ago I did an interview with Palm Olive from the Slits. Did you yeah, did, you, did yeah. you all cross paths? Because she was
1: we absolutely did, yeah. I love Palm Olive. So funny, because I just had some work in an exhibition in South London and and she did too. It was a it was an exhibition of drummer's work, which I thought was quite cranky, you know, like that was a really good idea. Um yes. all of us were drummers, so that was quite interesting. She had some work in there. Unfortunately, she wasn't there when I went, but um yeah, I she's great. I mean, I I we used to hang it was the best time in London. Seventy six we started, um, very early and then we kind of got the band together, late late seventies. Yes. Um, but you know, us and the raincoats and the O pairs and the, all sorts of people, you know, lots of women involved. It was such an exciting time
0: yes, my goodness. Yes, it's it's amazing. Yeah, so the squat land, yes, because I remember there was I think it was Reckless Eric, dear old Eric Gould. I did an interview on
1: well, years well, think... later. And I think he
0: was talking about sort of this character that he was watching the old Grey Whistle Test and it turned out to be Joe Strummer, kind of moaning about all these bands and the 101ers and then them moving into being the Clash. So, yes, the squat movement was massive in that uh, that period.
1: I mean, particularly around the Brixton area and then people started to move west. Um, I knew nothing about that. I was from the East End, but it was like a whole other life for me. But it was just, it was so easy. You just moved in you had no hot water or anything freezing cold in the winter but the great thing was you were all together making music or doing whatever you want or in the pub talking about making music you know so it was a really good atmosphere back then
0: yes and also you had these kind of interesting gatekeepers didn't you the music press and also people like John Peel as well so yeah. it did it did encourage people to um form yeah. bands
1: yeah definitely he's so he was so great with the Modettes. He gave us, oh, I don't know, four or five sessions and he played us all the time and he'd never met us. I don't think he even saw us, but he really championed us through, you know, and that gave us a lot of confidence to do it.
0: Yes. So did you finish your college course in about 76?
1: Yeah, because I was too busy on the road.
0: Right. And how did you get on? You mentioned Sid and Nancy. Did you end up doing the the Anarchy tour with Johnny Thunders and the Sex Pistols and, and the Clash? Was Did you sort of have an experience with that at all? No. Did you know no. it was going, was, was it kind of there well, was, in the background?
1: Yeah, in the background, exactly. We were just so busy touring and playing. It was amazing. We had five years together, pretty much, at modets and We only made one album, which was so badly produced, it was a bit of a disaster. Um, But I really cherish all the Peel sessions because that's who we were. That's who we sound, you know, that was our sound. Yes. But nobody really got it. And then the record, we were on London Records, and, of course, they wanted us to be like this girly girl band and wear pretty clothes and stuff and make, you know, stockade Kim Waterman type records so it was that that was a constant battle it wasn't inside the industry with other bands or 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 you know people you went out on the road with or anything like that nothing but the record companies were a real challenge
0: Yes, I could imagine. And when did it, you know, you you got your drum kit and you were sort of rehearsing and practicing and then met other people. Did you have a sort of a, a bit of a mission? Did you suddenly think, actually, after not having that idea, so suddenly having the idea that you wanted to be part of a band and part of a scene?
1: Yeah, I think I think you do. I mean, I was so inexperienced with it all. Um, I knew I was a musical person. I've got a good voice because I was always in the choirs and all that kind of stuff and a big love of music runs in the family. But to be in a pop group was a whole not pop group, I mean a group, it, it was a whole new world really. But you know what I loved about it? I loved that it was kind of industrious. Like you'd turn up at a gig, you'd get you'd hump all your gear around, you'd get your gear set up, you wait, you know, you'd do your sound check, then the best bit, you do your kind of hour or so on stage. And to me it was like working.
0: Yes. It was very
1: hard. That it was like you'd make great sounds and you get great feedback. I mean, that that was uh, a plus, if you like. Yes. So when you got the, the members of
0: the band together, how did you yeah. start, to de- start to decide how to create a song and and what sort of sound that you were going to go for? Because obviously I've never been in the band, so I, I would imagine this kind of process being quite interesting and quite oh, challenging yeah. at times. It is
1: challenging, yeah. I mean, we were four very, very different people. I mean, as I say, I'm sort of working-class background from the East End um, with an artistic kind of view. Um, Kate was from New York. As I said, she played briefly with the slits. She was into Patti Smith and rock and rolly type stuff. Uh, There was Jane, the bass player, amazing bass player, but she kind of played this melodic bass rather than the deep kind of heavy bass stuff that I've been used to listening to with kind of reggae stuff, you know. Um, But it was interesting because it gave it a kind of narrative. And then Ramona, the the singer, was French-Swiss, so she brought a whole other with her accent as well, very, very strong accent. But I don't know why, but I kind of saw us as full cartoon characters, which made that's the way I went with the artwork because I did all the artwork for our posters or or for the album or whatever, or singles, because I just felt we were full of those weird cartoons like Scooby Doo or something like that, you know. The banana splits. Yeah, exactly. Well, we grew up with all that, that kind of flashing stuff. Um, so it was hard work because you had to be strong if you wanted to get an idea over. But yes. I think that happens in every band.
0: And what was the kind of what? And what was the creative process? Did you sort of sit there and and were did you work it out together, or did you jam and then sort of have ideas?
1: No, I think most bands work this way. One person comes in with an idea. It might be a riff, it might be some lyrics, it might just be one line or a chorus or, or something. Um, With me, it was usually a a drum beat and a a kind of idea of a a tune that went above it. And then you just, you have to have a lot of courage, especially at first, and then you go in you say, actually, I've heard this, and you you might play, "Mm, whatever, and something will come out, and then somebody will just join in. And that's how the songs are made. Like, people will just bring their own part to it. And then that's the interesting part, because then you start arguing, actually, I don't like that bit, but I'd like it if you did that. Um, you know, and usually it, it, that's why most bands have a leader, and it's usually yes. the singer. Was that the case in this band? No, not at all. Actually, it was very, <laughs> very open, very. But you know, we argued a lot. Um, we were all very strong characters, but it also made it really interesting. Yes, because one thing
0: I've noticed that the punk scene in New York was very. It had a much more sort of different sound and quality you know there was oh, i know this is a this very, is very
1: loose kind of almost looseness, didn't it you know
0: yeah so, and much more kind of the rhythm section there wasn't that heavy power chords it was much more kind of dance and there was a record label called i think z records and they had these you know quite funky you know rhythm guitar lyrics i mean there was an awful lot more sort of i know it's a bit of another sweden statement but there's a lot of women bands or singers in New York at that stage and and sort of, you know, we got to sort of love them. So, um, yes, I, I think the British rock scene and punk scene sort of got much more heavy, much more quicker and a bit more macho, which is a bit disappointing really at times because then...
1: You know, we did want our music to sound, uh, if you like, feminine, um, but it also had four different types of... It, we came from four different backgrounds and different cultures so I think that was, we used to do a, a couple of songs in French and like a couple of kind of showy type songs. Kate loved that kind of open, jangly, slashing guitar thing and she did a lot of that. So they, all the songs were kind of have themes. Jane was a great lyric writer. She wrote a lot of the lyrics. I got a bit more confident towards the end and wrote some more songs, which was good, but um, she did write a lot of the lyrics. She's very, very much a wordsmith.
0: Yes, and was the first time in the studio? Was that to record "White Mice"?
1: It was. Paul Cook took us into the studio and paid for that, and, and what, uh, they did a really good job. I mean, it's it's a it's a really good classic little single. I think
0: it has it has it has done well, hasn't it? And then your John Peel sessions. Did he? How did you get onto his radar? Was it through live gigging or sort of word of mouth?
1: He heard he heard "White Mice." Right, he played it and he raved over it, and he played it again instantly. So he played it twice in one show, which was unheard of.
0: Yes, because you went into the, that was in 1980, I think, your, yeah. oh, so White Mice came out sort of the end of 79, and then your first oh, yeah. session yeah. was 1980.
1: Yeah. Had... He just saw our manager or something, and um, we had a lovely manager called Bob Black, who sadly just passed away last month, but he was absolutely brilliant. He used to be in the, um flying lizards oh yes god money exactly and he brought over lots of bands like he brought one county over from the states and things like that
0: fantastic we love wayne
1: good influence actually
0: yes absolutely i know because it was kind of interesting there was a band called the rock cats which were a bit rockabilly and there was a guy called lee black childers who sort of moved them over to new york yeah i
1: remember that
0: and that kind of rockabilly scene that obviously then the stray cats took it and then they became exactly. huge around yeah, the world. The stray cats sometimes.
1: I think I think that was the best thing about the music at that time as a real crossover, wasn't there? There were no rules. There wasn't you couldn't say you oh no, you can't play that because it sounds like that. You you just played whatever you wanted to do, you know, you put it together.
0: Yes. And then you, like you mentioned, the O pairs from Birmingham with Leslie on vocals. Oh, I loved
1: them. Loved them.
0: Amazing. She was in Norwich a couple of months ago. I sort of
1: Honestly, yeah, I've seen her around. I haven't been to see her. Um when I was in the Fun Boys, I was playing with Bethan, Bethan Um Peters, who was the bass player in the OPS.
0: Right. Blimey. That's such a band, actually. So as uh, you know, because it was kind of an interesting period because 79, when you were starting to sort of make make that moment. Had you sort of sat down and and sort of got a manager and sort of had a bit of a manifesto of commitment and not, this is more than just a little gig at the moment?
1: No, it was really, really random, the whole thing. Bob came to us, I can't remember. I think we met him through Dick O'Dell or something. I'm not sure. Um, Bob came to us and had this master plan and he was very persuasive. I wasn't keen on all that, having a manager and stuff. I'm always sort of anti-establishment of any kind you know but he was a re- he was really good because he had the right contacts it was disastrous he used to send us off on these long tours in a van and, and like with a driver somewhere and it would always fall apart but we'd always get on stage every night and it would be perfect so yeah you know, my gosh <laughs> that's... but that's what it was like
0: yes and then sort of 79 you know we you know thatcher gets in you know for the next 10 years we had thatcher then we had the Faulkner. War, then we had the minor Strike, Greenham Common, we all thought we were going yeah. to be nuked. What was it like for the band? Because obviously, you you know, you've been in we'd Scotland. we
1: done by then. I think by uh, end of 81, 82, we'd split up. What happened was the record company had re- were really putting the pressure on to be more commercial and we weren't interested in that. So they knew they weren't going to make any money out of us. We weren't complying. Right. So, on what we did a record they really wanted us to do this song and it was i think it was written by stock Aking woman i'm pretty sure i'll have to check that but he they put us into the studio to do it and it was all poppy and vile vile so i asked if we could do another mix of it with somebody else and we we wanted to work with dennis bevel so we went into dennis's studio and he did this fantastic mix of this shit song sorry awful song <laughs> um and it, at least he salvaged it but i knew it was the end i just thought mm, nah this is this is it oh, and what? then they, and then we did another track and when i listened back to it not in the studio when they sent us like a copy of it the guitar was different and i realized that they'd replaced kate's guitar with somebody else and that's the kind of thing they used to do and i just said i'm done yes my oh God. And why why
0: Decca? Because that had no there was like rough trade at had sort of know,
1: we thought they were a little bit more into that kind of stuff. We did go with rough trade at first, but that didn't work out. Um, it's a long story, but um uh, London were okay. They had a few decent bands and then they got Banana Armago going, and they went AWOL.
0: Yes. I I was, you know. It- they they they, they dropped by the it
1: time, by the time all the miners benefits and and all that kind of stuff we did a lot of rock against racism when we were in the modettes all those gigs but by the time the miners strikes and all that was happening i was with everything but the girl
0: yes it was it was all over and just um, and your cover of painted black did you enjoy yeah. whose whose idea was that
1: i just started playing that beat and kate wanted to do a stone so we all used to to mess around in rehearsals, we'd all bring songs that we wanted to do covers of. We did very few covers, but um, Kate wanted to do "Painted Black," and uh, we just tried a different. I said, "Let's try a different beat with it." I I really like that version, actually.
0: Yes, it's it's got a great great vibe to it. So did it? Did you have a moment where you all sat down and said that? To quote Jim Morrison, "This is the end," or you know, paraphrase Jim Morrison. Maybe. No,
1: it all fizzled out. Um, the the other girls in the band, including with the record company, sacked Kate. And once she was sacked, I didn't want to be around anymore. I stayed around to honour some of the gigs. Then Ramona decided to leave because she wasn't making any money and she just saw the end of it as well. So there was a couple of gigs we had to do where I sung from the from the drums just to get through the gigs, which is yes. fine. I'm, you know, I can do that. But it – and then they brought in – they decided we should audition for a new singer and a new guitarist. I went through the motions, but oh, it was horrible. No disrespect for them, but it was horrible.
0: It was, yes.
1: Modettes, it, the the Modets were there. They were the four people brought together by accident, by, you know, some osmosis, and, and it worked so well. And I've just been asked by somebody, actually, a promoter, to get the girls together for a reunion, and I just said, no, can't do it can't
0: do it too tricky you must be amazed how much you you, you played live in that very short time because I've I've been looking at your Unbelievable. You, Unbelievable. Been...
1: We, we did every gig going and we did Europe every year we did America five times <laughs> Which For a small band with no kind of backing is pretty pretty amazing actually did you do
0: CBGB's or all the Maxis Kansas yeah. City
1: we did we do Max's? I think we did. We did Dance dancer Oh, blimey! With um, yeah, yeah. remember that?
0: Yes, Dance interior. was that Anna Magnus, Magnus and something like that. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. My God,
0: you did you did you go down particularly well in America? I would imagine yeah. New York would have loved you.
1: Incredibly well. The only place we had an issue, we were we played in um, California, in Costa Mesa which is a little bit outside California. And unfortunately, the bar we were in, there were quite a few punks, like pseudo-punks by then, who wanted to come along and see us. But on the other half of the bar, there was a whole bunch of, um, there was angels. Um, And that actually weren't the issue. The issue was we had a lot of kind of cowboy type, redneck types, who didn't want to see four girls playing music. They said, you know, get out of here. Um, So I went and I was a bit of a biker at the time. And I went into the um, other side of the bar where all the, uh, the police were called that's right and it all got a bit nasty and our, our road manager was a bit worried so I went into the other bar where the bikers were and said hey look I'm British and I'm in this band that's playing tonight and these rednecks giving us some git would you come stand in the audience and just look enthusiastic so we can get through it and they absolutely saved the night they were brilliant fantastic oh, that's such they a great story Bali, which is great
0: so different to um, Altamont and the Ronan Stones, really, wasn't it?
1: Exactly, exactly. I think when the one good thing about being a woman in music is that you can get away with some things because it takes away that kind of macho ness, like standing up two blokes standing up to each other. What we used to do, we had we had a lot of trouble with skinheads at the beginning because there was a big thing with the two tone stuff and all that, you know. And even though two tone was a mixture of all that skinhead stuff, some of them were quite um, racist, weren't they? you know very, yeah, and you do have trouble being girls on, on a tour as well, so we'd get a lot of sickky at the front. It was just a fashion, really, wasn't it? And they were causing trouble, so we used, I used to hit a few people on the head with my sticks and things, but so my idea was to get we had a roadie called Ivor who's still around, he's brilliant um Ivor's great. he was like a sixteen year old punk. Very big, spiky black hair and uh, teeth and, you know, loads of tattoos. And then we had this other guy, Chris, who these fans that used to come see us all the time. So we made Ivor our roadie and then we made Chris our roadie and Chris was a skinhead. So we'd have a skinhead on one side of the stage, a punk on the other side of the stage. And we kind of had it covered.
0: Yes. <laughs> That's good, that's good. You, you're sort of keeping your market demographic quite nicely held together there really, aren't you? Exactly. I mean, did you um did you get, because I saw a photograph, is that Prince Charles that you're being introduced to? Yeah,
1: yeah. Coach I think that, uh, it was at Capital Radio, I think he was just doing a tour around um, the station and he came into our studio and they said, would you mind if he came in and said hi? And we said, no, bring him in. And we all had to stand there, and there's big security men telling us what we can't do. Yeah, because I said to him, you know, I don't know how your um, bank balance is at the moment. We, but we could really do with a sponsor if you ever fancy sponsoring a girl band. And he yes. thought it was, but I got really told off about that.
0: Yeah, well, he was a big fan of the Three Degrees, wasn't he? So um, he could have, he could have had another band. It could have been his favourites. How did you get on with the the kind of the Nancy and, and Sid and, and the Johnny Thunders? That kind of drug scene at that time was quite um, well, murky.
1: It was very disruptive. It was very negative. You know, Sid was a really, really great bloke, very funny, very bright. Um, but once you're drawn into that, it kills all the kind of joy of it and the creativity, you know, and she was a really bad influence, I'm sorry to say, you know, it just had it was gonna have a sticky end. And it did. Yes, it
0: was a very sticky end. Because last year there was a fantastic film that was made for a band who only lasted about eight months in 1979 called Rima Rima. Did you come across Dorothy Max Pryor and Rima Rima and and
1: I've I've just met her recently. She lives in Brighton. Of course. We, we, we obviously came across each other historically. I don't know. I can't remember. I don't remember a lot of things. But um, she was also in the Drummer's Art Show. And so we met up for the first time after about 40 years or something. And yeah. it, was lovely. it was fantastic. I yes. just read, you know, wrote a book about um, living in a, it wasn't a squat, but it was like a big shared house in London. And I've just started reading that and it's very recognisable. It's really good
0: it's a brilliant book, actually. There's there's some really fantastic books being made, uh, written. Um, Adele Bertie's just done one about her childhood and is going to oh. have another one. So uh, do check out Adele Bertie. But yeah, so then because you know then the indie world starts to appear and obviously everything but the girl you know they follow on from is it the dolly mixture or mixtures and then you had the raincoats and then you had indie pop started to appear with people yeah. like and everything there were
1: a lot of kind of all women bands around that time where they kind of went a bit more macho again with lots of big jangly guitars and things and then they'd always have a female on the keyboard you know plinky plonking on a keyboard or something like that yes. or doing the- was it all went a bit um passive again, didn't it? Really?
0: Yeah. Well, I think there was a funny little period. There was that post punk world, which was all a bit jagged, and then, and then it was eighty three when I think the Smiths appeared, and then things changed a bit more for the next few years. Because, yeah, was it? it was. I love the Smiths at the time. So <laughs> <laughs> I have to say they were my kind of band. But yeah, so yeah, so but so how did how did everything but the girl, how did Tracy and Ben come into your life?
1: Ben wrote me a letter, a really lovely letter. Um they wanted someone to go on tour with them because I'd just stopped working with Funboy Three then. I mean, that was that was a great band to work as a woman musician because the whole of the backing band were women in, in the Funboys. So and some great players, you know. Terry had a good eye for like putting people together for stuff like that. So that was good. And then I finished that, and yeah, Ben wrote me this really sweet little letter saying, "I love your work. Will you come and play with us?" So I went and did um, Love Not Money album with them, and then went on tour. With the, lovely, with the lovely Phil Moxon on bass from Young Marvel Giants, who's genius.
0: God, yeah, you're right. They, they... Oh
1: my God, to play. Rhythm section with Phil was like this.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yes. I've done a few interviews
0: with Stuart and. Um, a great
1: yes,
0: family. Amazing band. So, yeah, so they'd had that first album, hadn't they, which was Eden, and then this yeah. follow up, which was The Self. Yeah, that was also called Everything But the Girl. This was produced by the one and only Robin Miller.
1: Oh, no, he's so gorgeous.
0: Yes, amazing.
1: So, love, what an ear. I mean, that man. He's just so musical and so nice to work with. It was a, it was a joy.
0: Yes. Well, he captured. He I think
1: he I gave gonna... me lots of brain to kind of. You know, I I was no I'm no expert drummer. You know, I never practice. Uh, nobody showed me what to do. I just picked the sticks up and went. But he gave, he made a great sound for me. It was really good.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean that that album, and then obviously he he almost alongside Trevor Horn. Has shapes this sort of sound of the early '80s, and because yeah. you know, obviously he does Sade, which is massive, isn't
1: yeah.
0: it? <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. We, yes, we can't accept. So, did you play on, you know, all the album, the, their second album, or
1: yeah, Love Not Money, yeah, yeah. Blimey, and and that is was with Tracy as well.
0: God, that's great. And did you do vocals as well?
1: Yeah, back in vocals with her. Yeah, I love singing with Tracy because her voice and my voice have got. She's got that lovely depth of tone. And I'm more of a kind of up there sort of singer. So we had so much fun singing live. Oh, just... fun.
0: Yes. So that was kind of 84, 85 period, wasn't it? And what was the, what were those tours like? Did, was it very kind of serious, sensitive? A
1: bit serious, I must admit. Um, I mean, We had a lot of fun because we had Neil Scott playing guitar, who I didn't know at all. Um Very nice, very nice guitar player. We all keep in touch. And uh, so him and I and Phil and then Ben would play some organ stuff and the piano stuff. It was a lovely sound. It was the sound of that time completely. Yes. It was kind of fresh, but it had lots of backward look as well. You know, there were lots of kind of references to soul stuff and, uh, you know, those kind of nice full big organ sounds. It was really exciting to play.
0: Yeah, I mean that's kind of for me it, 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 you
1: know, they they were a couple and so you know when couples go on tour they kind of stay together a lot of the time. So we had to amuse ourselves and quite often we'd play, be playing somewhere in the middle of Germany where nothing was open and I'd find myself thinking, Oh, is this it? You know.
0: The joy of touring. So when so when you, you know, a bit like the David Bowie kind of thing of having musicians, is it the case that they ask you to do the album and then a tour and then you just find yourself? Generally, in that? So, yeah.
1: yeah, generally, yeah. And I like that because then you've worked on all of that material on the album for so long. You've rehearsed it, you've recorded it. So when you take it out live, you know exactly what you're doing. And then you can have some fun because you haven't got to stick strictly to what you're doing. You yes. can actually get away with Kind of taking it somewhere else sometime, which is the best bit about playing live. Yes, uh, yeah, I did. I've pretty much done that with everybody actually. That's quite uh, amazing. Yeah.
0: And and then when and then Jimmy Somerville did he contact you to want to sing with you with him? <laughs> I'd,
1: I'd been doing. I, I was I, whatever I was working on. I was always doing other bits as well. People used to ask me to do benefit gigs, so like with Pauline Black and people like that. Rhoda. Um I'd always be playing with other people or singing with them. And Richard, uh, I knew Richard vaguely, and he contacted me. And weirdly, they'd written the whole album, recorded a lot of it, same as the Funboy 3. I walked in the Funboy 3 album um, waiting, and it was all recorded, and they'd done it all to a click track. So I had to walk into the studio. I'd only just finished with the Modettes then. So Limval rung me two o'clock one morning, about three weeks after I'd left the band and said, oh, hi, June, uh, this is Linval from the Fumboy 3, we want you to um, come and play on our album. And I went, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And so he rang me back the next morning, and it wasn't a joke. Um, so I walked into the studio, and then I just sat down in the middle of this big church hall, and they played me a track, and I started playing along, and they, were, they looked pleased. And then I went into the control room, and there was David Byrne sitting there because he was producing the whole album. Mm, quite a shock
0: (laughs) quite a shock indeed
1: (laughs) that was a lovely album to work on because it was so i like things that's what i love about the modettes i love about fumble three it's the the diverse styles of stuff you know you're not oh no this band's got to sound like this you know the drums have got to sound like this or the guitar you know it was like that freedom is so exciting
0: Yes. It's interesting when you I... mentioned the click track because I spoke to two women drummers who have been completely destroyed because of drumming into a click track with a producer who literally destroyed them. One being um, Lindy from the Go-Betweens and the other one Patty well, from from, from Hole. So yeah. and and they, they completely destroyed oh, I love
1: it. I love it. I've just got a click track head.
0: Right. So you you were happy because they they literally <laughs> you know got removed from projects and then just
1: oh. oh that's a shame yeah no I'm really good at it actually so it didn't bother me at all
0: right even with David Byrne there you were able yeah. to hold the hold the moment
1: god that... great yeah my god that's so and good that gives you freedom because you've got the you've got that general timing there so you can play around anything then you can do what you like
0: Yes, well, absolutely no, but um, I have to send you the link to Patty's film that she made. You know, um, hits so hard, and that's just about her oh, life yeah. in the, in the band and what happens oh, when. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit tragic. So then, I mean, obviously you you you're surfing a zeitgeist of the '80s because old Fergal Sharky and I know oh, John Peel yeah. absolutely loved this guy uh, to the point that he would play quite commercial Fergal, Sh- Fergal Sharky songs on his show. Yeah. So, yes. So, how did Fergal come into your life?
1: Um, do you know, I can't remember. I think, I, don't I think it was the manager phone. me out. He had a really nice manager. Firm. I don't know what he did. I think it was Dave. And he was going on a big American tour and said, did I want to come along? I didn't record with him. It was already all done. All the backing vocals were done. Um, that's not much fun because. When you're a singer as well, it's really hard to mind to other people's voices. Yes. Not hard. It's just not right. I remember once I did a song. Who was it for? it would come to me. Oh, okay. I worked with a band called Lover Speaks. Do you remember them? No. Jokey, Dave, I can't remember, Dave Freeman. And they had one great song. And guess what it was? Uh, no More I Love Yous.
0: Oh, I'll make a note. And to
1: California. They took me to California to do all the backing vocals on that. Um, and I did the original backing vocals. <laughs> that was me. Fantastic. And then it was played on top of the pops. And they got these two girls to, to look like me and, and sing my parts. And I was completely affronted, you know.
0: Well, absolutely.
1: Like, it's just, it's wrong. I didn't necessarily want to do it, but I just thought it was so weird that they got these two girls in to do it and they actually even looked like me. I was like, what? <laughs> um, yeah. Where were we? Fergal. So yes, so I went off to rehearse with Fergal for a big USA tour. He wanted two drummers. I did a couple of videos with him. Good Heart first, then New Little Thief. And on New Little Thief, he had a great big production of a video It was vile. Um, and he had two drummers, another girl called Sasha. She was great, but she wasn't quite as, um yes, say so she wasn't as natural as me. So um, she found it quite difficult and I had to kind of help her along. Um, but we were both thumping away on this video for two days. Boring, boring, boring. And I got home after two days of that and my legs were black and blue because he insisted that we like. Looked like maniacs playing the drums, you know, beating up into the air and down again. And It's not my style. I hated it. But he said, do you want to do this American tour? And he offered lots of money. And I said, yes. So we went off to John Henry's to rehearse with a fantastic band, including Davy Payne from the Blockheads playing sax. A uh, brilliant guitarist. Can't remember. Really bad with names. Brilliant guitarist. Anyway, this fantastic band. And I think his hairstyle had gone to his head. little bit you won't mind me i've spoken to him since um and he was a bit obnoxious and i pulled him up once because he was speaking to these amazing session musicians like they they'd never done anything like it in their lives so i pulled him up one day and he sacked me so that was all right so i went home and his managers phoned me and said all right we really want you to come and i said "Mm, i don't fancy spending like weeks and weeks in america with that going on no you're fine thanks so and then I bumped into him on the tube years later. Um on the busy tube. And we it's like we the best mates, so it was fine. This is And he he's, he's doing stuff now, isn't he?
0: Yes. He's he's saving the planet. Well, he's saving the waterways. So
1: No, it, really good. I really admire that.
0: Yes, absolutely. And then and then obviously the other band that we and,
1: Yeah, Communards.
0: The Communards.
1: Yeah, Richard. Yeah, I'd done a few benefits with Richard, um, Pauline, and somebody else. So Richard said, "Hey, we've got all this band." And that was again when I just left everything but the girl. He said, "We've got this band. We're going on tour. Do you know Jim and stuff?" And of course, I knew, small town boy. Yes. So, yeah. He said, "And it's all girls." And I went, "Yeah, but here we go again." Um, so I went round to West Hampstead and met them all, and I had I've had the best time of my life on touring with them. I was working with Jimmy and Richard for about five years, maybe six years, um, and then carried on working with Jimmy for a while. It was yeah. really, really, really great fun. It wasn't like the music was um, as, uh, I'm not going to say interesting, because that's not right. Uh, you know, it was easy, like to yes. play drums and that stuff. It's all, sort of, you know, it's, you know, you, you don't have to do very much, but, God, you can have fun with it.
0: Did you play on both albums, by the way?
1: No. I'm, oh, I've got to think now. Read my lips. Red. Red. The poly-
0: Red. Right, because there was the first album, which had Disenchanted and um, yeah. You Are yeah. My World, and Red was the kind of 87 follow-up, wasn't it? Really? Exactly.
1: But it was great playing all those songs live. And we did, Jimmy also liked to do a couple of the songs to back in tracks. So I could go down the front and have a dance and a sing with him, which was brilliant. Was Sarah,
0: yes. Sarah Jane was with him as well at that stage. So there were songs on that album like Tomorrow and For a Friend and Never Can Say Goodbye. Can you remember recording those?
1: No. <laughs> no.
0: It was a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it was a yeah. very long time ago. But, but they, must it, a, they must have had a think... massive budget at that stage because they were so… Huge.
1: They were huge. Yeah. Yeah. They,
0: they were huge, yes. And what was the kind of the studio like, you know, going in with with a band who obviously the record company has a huge amount of investment and excitement that they're gonna be even richer after this one?
1: I think because it was so easy to to kind of produce those songs, you know, Jimmy's a great writer. Richard's a great musician, and it just all came together very easily. It was very much more um Richard's you know, he's a proper musician. Like he knows all the notes and and the, this clef and that clef, and you know. So it was all set out very nicely. So it wasn't difficult to do at all. And we had four-piece string section, um, and they were un- unbelievably good. Yes, still, all of them still work now, and they're all doing quite big things now. they they. It was just so beautiful to work with strings live.
0: Amazing, Amazing.
1: big drama because you've got to get the balance right. And but they were all up for it, and, and absolutely such. such uh, we did five nights, I think, in Paris at um, what's the big theatre? Um, anyway, we did five nights, and that's a long time to go. You know, five nights doing the same thing. But I've never been happier. Like, I came off stage on the last night and felt really emotional because it's hard. It's hard with Parisian audiences. They're quite standoffish at first, mm. but it was magical, absolutely magical. I'll never forget that. Yes. Just so high and, and exciting, you know, and everything went well and the sound was good. And what was it?
0: i oh, Yes, and then obviously your you, your phone must be quite red hot, or you've got an amazing agent, because then Big Country are sort of trying. Is that their third album, The Seer? That um, yes,
1: yeah. do you know? I've never had a manager or an agent.
0: Right, you just got a very what? good phone, num- <laughs> got a good answer machine.
1: Easy yeah. phone number. Um, yeah, they asked me to do a couple of tracks on that. That was lovely. Was it Robin did that?
0: Robin, I can't remember. There was. Um, Oh, it was Robin. Oh, you're right. Gosh, that's amazing, actually, because I would have thought, oh, it was probably Stephen Street or someone like that. But no, Robin.
1: Robin, yeah. Lovely, lovely songs. So much melody. And um, it wasn't my style at all, my style of music at all, that big kind of ballad and big rock kind of stuff. But being Scottish, it's got a whole different feel, hasn't it? It's a lot more kind of uh, emotional stuff, you know.
0: Yeah, because I'd done an interview with the bass player recently, Tony, and he said it was getting kind of, it, it was getting really tricky because by the third album, every the pressure's mounting, there's like you know a lot more expectations, but everyone's being a bit more yeah. frazzled. Yeah. And um, this is the one that also features Kate Bush on one of the tracks, isn't it?
1: Yeah. and uh, I mean, I was there on a different day to everybody, so I didn't meet anybody. Who else did it? Somebody else as well. But I I did a lot at that time. I was kind of um, doing a lot of those kind of things, like singing a couple of things on an album for somebody or singing all of an album. I worked with Micro Disney, who I just adored.
0: Yes, Catherine. Oh,
1: oh, he was so talented. Yes, he was. And his lyrics were just amazing. I loved doing that. I I did uh, when Clock comes downstairs with them.
0: Classic, classic albums, yeah, and you did a solo single, didn't you as well? did you Did you enjoy that experience?
1: I loved it. I did love it. It was a real learning curve for me. Um, I just love singing and putting harmonies together. and i I was really enamored by go discs. I just thought they were such a great little band of people to work with, um with Juliet, who did become my kind of pseudo manager for a little while. Juliette Devine. um she kind of looked out for me. And a the girl there, Leslie, who looked after me. It was a really nice period. I went in just to help them with the phones one summer because uh, it was just a nice atmosphere there. Yes. So, uh, asked them if they'd let me take some of my songs into the studio. And I did tonight, uh, not tonight, the, um, it was the, Black, was it Black Box song, wasn't it? The Ride you. on Time. No, Say You I did. Oh, yes. Well, who were they? Oh, not that one. I loved all the harmonies on it and the feel of it. So I did a little version of that and about three or four other songs which never saw the light of day.
0: No, uh, that's, but
1: that's... No, it's huge. I realised how much work it takes to do that, to be a solo artist like that. Um, I'm much better when I'm working with a gang of other people and not having so much... I don't like all that responsibility.
0: Yes, I could imagine. Yes, I'm just having to have a conversation in the mirror. And
1: see why it messes other people up who are like in charge of these huge bands and these huge budgets I mean music shouldn't be about that really (laughs) unfortunately it has to be to get it out there but you know I don't enjoy that side of it
0: yeah and then as the 80s came to a slight finish with you know there was there was definitely a kind of a shift in in sort of around the late 80s. I think ecstasy came along. There was another kind of the Smiths had broken up. I know I was going back to Smiths, but there seemed to be at the end of another chapter, the indie pop, and then That's there was a there was definitely, definitely a feeling of there was yeah, the dance scene that had started and then the Seattle grunge scene and then various other murky things happened. What was it like for you as an artist who'd been to get been working for 15 years in in sort of music? You well,
1: know, I think I think I was uh, it did change so much. I did like the American scene at that time, like the Ataris and people like that who were just kind of playing good good rock and roll stuff, but with a kind of punky feel. Yes. And I like kind of had a flavour of like the early punk days, if you like. I was always into that. And like Nirvana, of course, all that kind of sounds, all those big guitar sounds. But I think I got bored with it by then, you know. I there weren't any bands around that I would think, oh, I'd love to work with them. Oh, I'd love to work with them. It kind of changed. It went very a bit druggy, which I'm not into because yes. I think it ruins people and ruins the music. Um, so around that time, I think I got pregnant. So I took my I had a we had I met Simon, my other half. Uh, he's in the wooden tops, he plays guitar.
0: Oh, uh, right. Blimey, um, the Wooden Tops, because we love the Wooden Tops. with Oh,
1: Roland. they're fantastic.
0: Well, well, well.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, yeah. They've written some great stuff. Um, so I worked with them briefly as well. I did a couple of albums with them singing. Um, I met Simon at the Miner's Benefit at the Brixton Academy in January 85. Yeah, I think so. And that's why we took the Wooden Tops, everything but the girl were playing there, and we took the Wooden Tops on tour with us as a pool. And that's how we met. So we've been together since then.
0: My goodness. Uh, did you yeah. go to Glastonbury with the Wooden Tops?
1: Yeah, I did. It was brilliant. That was the first time I went as a punter, if you like. I mean, we did stay in the um, artist fields, but that was the first time I'd ever been there and not played there. It was quite weird. Was it
0: 86 or 87 they played, I think?
1: I think it was did- later that- Actually, or maybe it was a couple of times they played there.
0: Yes, God, they were just awesome. Actually, yeah, because really, I know they've had a gig recently. I think and
1: is
0: Simon yeah. still is Simon still with them?
1: Yeah, he's still playing. Yeah,
0: excellent. Yeah, because I think Dick O'Dell seems to have been part of the, was it. Was the, he the manager?
1: Way back, no, no. It was actually their first manager was Seb, he used to be in um, Dex's Right. Like, Dramas are good organizers, you see.
0: Yes, they have to be. They had to be right there, yeah. aren't they?
1: Excellent. Oh, right. So
0: yeah, so families, the nineties. Yeah,
1: so we we had our first child, a little girl, and I was working with the communals at the time, and she came on tour with me um for the first two years. That was hard work. Being a mum and playing the drums. Um and then I got pregnant with our son. So I stopped touring then. I just thought. There's no one out there that I'm desperate to go on tour with. I did want to carry on recording, which I did, and I still do, but mostly vocals now. Um, but I think I've kind of seen the best of it as far as I was concerned. How many times can you go to Dusseldorf? Yes. So yes. I thought I'm going to stay home and play music and be with my kids because I don't want somebody else to do it.
0: And Because and, I remember hearing Suzanne Vega taking her daughter on tour and she said, you know, it sounded like one minute, you know, oh. you're, being, you're being sick all over and trying to find plug sockets to do things with milk and then the next minute, you exactly. know. Exactly.
1: And, and trying to find the sonic they'll in, in the middle of like, you, know, you know, Bavaria or somewhere, you know, it's like crazy
0: you having a slight domestic kind of moment and the rest of the band not, not sure where to look exactly. and what to do.
1: Exactly. Although <laughs> when we, uh, towards the end of the comedy it was hilarious because we all took our kids with us. Um, Annie, the violin player, had uh, her son and they all used to run up and down the coach all day and things like that. And Jimmy and Richard were so amazingly good about that. Like, as far as they were concerned, we were women, that was our thing. You know, you could bring your kids anywhere and, and it was fantastic. It was a real family real family it was like um some like it hot you know what I mean it was like that scene on the train yes some like it with all the women musicians and it was just like that it was brilliant fun
0: yes <laughs> that's such a great Christmas film isn't it really some like it hot because I did a it was interesting because um I did an interview with Annie Hogan recently who was with oh, Mark, right. Mark Armand and the and that and she was you know from the late 70s right through to the early 90s in music and then just kind of again just had enough almost and that was a real
1: burnout I think you know I've been to like you said for all that time from sort of late 70s into the sort of late 80s into the bit into the 90s I think you know I do miss, really, really miss playing live. I miss it really badly because there's nothing like that sound of acoustics, you know, when it's live and and you've got other people to play with, and it's just wonderful. But I don't know. I think I think it's for younger people. I'm not. I know that's going to sound really contentious, but that's how I feel.
0: Yes, it can. Yes. Um, it's just
1: a- hoping someone ask us to get together the Modettes and play again. Come on, who wants to see four sixty odd year olds? Play music that they played it back then. It's crazy.
0: I remember who it is, but I know the woman in it is called Pat Place, and she's one of those New York punk bands. And um, oh god, Um, musician! I will. And they they kind of they keep reforming, but with fewer and fewer original members because obviously. Oh, yeah. she was in. Oh, she was in James Chance. Oh, the Bush Tetras. That was it.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember the Bush Tetras. Yeah.
0: So they they're still they're still going, but with a member, an ex member of the Pogues, the bass player Cat, and also a member of Sonic Youth. So play
1: with them. Oh Pardon? my god! I didn't know, just Cat play with them.
0: Yeah, she's the bass player now.
1: Oh amazing. oh, amazing! I worked with her years ago. We were. I was in a band with her called Pride of the Cross. Oh. Cross and we did some gigs with them, it was really good fun. We just used to go around King's Cross and sort of North London everywhere playing gigs.
0: Yes, yeah, so she's she's now I don't know if she's based in New York, but she's now a member of the Bush Tetras. Um, oh, I'm
1: in touch with her, she was amazing.
0: Yes, yeah, so she's yeah, and they look, I think they're recording a new album and doing some live dates. So. Yeah, they, they, they're keeping it real, even though, you know, there's only two original movies. So is it the case then that you've, but then film school, did you then go and do, because you made a film, didn't you? Well, I
1: went, yeah, I do. I went back to, I'd never been to uni properly, so and my kids have, and I was feeling a bit like, no, mm, everybody's been to uni and I haven't. So I hit the sort of late 40s and I had cancer as well for a few years. So I thought I came out the other side of that and thought, I've got to start doing stuff. So I went to St Martin's and did art again. Um, I applied there with some just some boring old life drawings and got in. Um, Excellent. But I started kind of one thing there and came out making films, which was brilliant.
0: Brilliant stuff, God, that's that's amazing. So I watched your I watched your film, dear, you Miss, dear Miss Bassie, which was because she has oh. um, Parkinson's, doesn't she?
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, it's and, based on and, and the and the um, husband dies chopping wood. Exactly. A heart attack. So was this yeah. your first was this your first film?
1: No, my fir- I've I've made lots of little films. My first one I made was called Blonde, and it was about I'm very interested in like people's perception of women in music, um, and how they treat them and how they see them, and also about how women behave themselves as public figures. Um I've just made a little film called Muse about with snippets of like people like Marion Faithful and um and home, like you know we talked about them before yes just how they get called the muse to the one the bloke in the band you know that's still quite prevalent so I'm really interested in how women are perceived in bands and that one of my favorite films is a John Dillman you know the um, the film uh, uh, oh god I've forgotten the name I'm so bad too hot but it's (laughs) About the, it's about women in domestic scenes. I'm really interested in that, and that's what I used in Dear Miss Bassy because my mom was the typical housewife, and yet she had this amazing dream of being a singer, just like Shirley Bassey. Yes, He never was able to bring that to fruition because she had three children and a husband that worked away, you know. And she came out of kind of post-war years when women just didn't do those kind of things. So that's why I wrote. She was so. Um, crazy about Shirley Bassey I took her to see her about 45 times um and so as she was dying of Parkinson she she still used to say to me I wish I would have met Shirley Bassey I said mum you should never meet your idols but I got her to write her life story down and I used that as a in the script as a narration and then I made that little film around that wow that must have been incredible it was while she was really in the last stages of her life. So it was quite hard work. And I sung all the songs on there because I've made turn it into a musical. Yeah. And Simon helped me record all those. He's brilliant producer. So we worked on that through that summer, the last summer my mum was here. And you can hear my voice in some of the tracks cracking. And, you know, so I said, you'll have to do that again. I went, no, I'll leave it. It's just, it's real. It's what happened, you know. I'm really proud of that little film. I think it's got, I don't know, it's got a little message in it that I'm really proud of. So I'm working on my new one now. Excellent. Um, Which is about me, kind of. It's a bit of a, a, you know, uh, it's kind of like a life story film, but it's not a linear thing. It's more like little stories. That's why I liked um, that book we were talking about. with uh, Max.
0: Dorothy.
1: Yeah, the way she puts it into different chapters, I think that's a really good way of doing it. And so that's how I'm treating the film, a bit like Julian Temple's work. I love the way he puts films together.
0: Yes, absolutely. Have
1: lots of stories. It'll have bits about each band I've worked with, and and about my life and people around me, people I met, and things that happen, like socially and politically out there. So it's a little mixture of stuff. But I've got so much archive stuff, like photos, films all kinds of things. So it's a good excuse to kind of put them all together.
0: Yes, we love archiving, don't we? And I think it's really important because it's also about who controls the narrative or at yeah. least have mm-hmm. the voice in the narrative. So I think in a way it's it is important because because unless someone does it, you can't you can't just wish something, but the people who lived it, you know, I, yeah. I think um the woman from was it from the penetration, she's got her book coming out. Yeah. The, so that's going to be very interesting. Enough, I you think know.
1: film's a great way to do it. I don't want to write a book because, you know, it's such an easy road. Not an easy road, but it's like, a, the you know, everybody would do that to go down that road and write a book. And I don't know if you can say anything new in a book now in that respect. Yes. As far as music goes, I don't know. There's a lot of cliches involved, isn't there? So I just thought if I'd do it visually in a film with lots of music, lots of references from way back it, it might be an interest i don't know if it'll work i'll see what happens
0: well you'll have to try and get uh, to see the copy of uh Rima, Rima with you know yeah, definitely
1: again. i will do that yeah how,
0: how to make a film about a band who only lasted eight months and had no film there before.
1: you go that's perfect I and that. it's
0: kind of like oh that's very clever that's very yeah. clever indeed but that's a it's a great one I so that's your fun. latest project and obviously
1: project, yeah yeah. and has it
0: been also the case then you've still been singing backing vocals or singing yes. lots of stuff yeah yeah just tons and tons of stuff that um really
1: great artists i work with um, have you heard of um, jazz butcher yes yeah. pat One, Pat died yeah
0: and that yeah. last album of his was so beautiful and oh, jazzy beautiful.
1: yeah but max who plays the other the beautiful guitar with him max ida our name is peter um he's done a f- I think I've done three albums with him. Oh, yes, Max. Yeah. Pete, I, know, I know him as Peter Milson, but he's called Max Ida.
0: I know. Well, there's interest in doing this show because there's this whole seam of amazing bands and musicians who have created some great stuff and, and they've almost kind of, they've started to get more, rec- slightly more recognition now. Definitely, I
1: think. definitely. But you know what? That recognition usually comes from the fans. That's what I love about that. You know, it was like the Modettes. Our our kind of where we sat was all about how our fans saw us. And I still keep in touch with our fans. I know that's ridiculous, but they still write to me and send me messages. Yes. And we talk about, you know, I think that's brilliant because you create a family. You really do. You create this kind of group of people who got who all share these feelings about those things together, and that's what music should be it should be that kind of reaffirming thing where these are my people you know it's the reason you move to Brighton you think these are my people you know
0: yes absolutely I mean you just walk down the street you and can't say in. that
1: about Duran Duran do you know what I mean you just can't
0: no no you can't there is a tenuous lit Birmingham link with Duran Duran though which because there there's, there's
1: a yeah, kind of a nightclub once
0: and um, yeah, and yeah, I think someone brought a compilation out of 1978 to 1981 with all these obscure little Birmingham bands, and they all, oh. you know, various members went on to other quite interesting projects, and and that's yeah. quite good. So does that mean that your phone or email kind of pings and says, "Oh, we we need you, you know, we need a singer. Would you like to come and sing? Or we need a drummer. Would you like to come and drum on this next album with us?" Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I did some drumming recently. That was really nice. It was for a TV thing. Um, yeah, it does. Not, not all the time, but yeah, enough to make it interesting.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And did you, sorry, and I was going to say, because I, I sort of recently, you know, talking to Birmingham, thinking of uh, Dunce from One, but he just brought his film out and did a a live kind of show about what it's like.
1: Oh, I and love then, that. I love that idea, showing it live and like, I've always had this idea of making a film and and having a live band, you know, people that I've worked with, with Simon and other people, you know. I love the way music and film mixes like that, and you know, going back to when films always had live orchestras or live bands playing. You know, yes. that's a lovely idea. But I saw something it. the um, who was it that did that a couple of years ago. I can't remember. I still go to lots of gigs. There's lots of gigs in Brighton all the time, so I've you know I go to new bands and new stuff. But one of the best things I saw a couple of years ago was a pop group in Brighton. Back to my roots and watch the pop group. He's gone now as well, hasn't he?
0: I know, Mark.
1: Yeah,
0: that was hard. Yes, I know. That's
1: right that age, David. Now it's like you know <laughs> people are disappearing.
0: <laughs> yes, you just got to keep doing it. But like you know, I know when you mentioned, yes, you know we have these hiccups with you know Terry of
1: course. Oh, that was a shock.
0: Yeah, oh, that is actually isn't it? Yeah, but you know, but there's surprisingly quite a lot still alive. So. um We're doing okay.
1: I mean, if you could have whispered
0: something to your, like, 16-year-old self starting out, is there anything in particular you might have said, oh, yes, I would have told them that, even if they ignored it?
1: Yeah, I think speak up. Just have a confidence to speak up because I was very shy when I was growing up and when I was first in bands and things. Very shy. I've got an inner confidence. I know what I'm good at. When I'm good at something, that's fine. You know, I can walk in a room and sing anything. I can walk in a room and play anything on drums, and I get it. I've got a good ear. But, like, being talkative or like making decisions, I've always found it difficult. So, I would yes. say,
0: not? yeah. And was that, um, did you have a little bit of a, a reunion recently with? We uh... did,
1: because we lost Bob Black, our manager. Um I organised with Dick with Dick O'Dell. we both organised this little reunion in London. It was a really nice little do on the South Bank. And it was our old Rody Ivor, who's now um with silver hair, still covered in tattoos, but a wonderful man. And he manages lots of wonderful bars on the South Bank. And he organised it all for us. It was fantastic. Did so nice. that- it was just such a good bunch of people, including – it'll come to me. But, um, yeah, we had a really lovely night, actually. Yes. That was when – us three girls, because Kate couldn't come. she's in, She lives in the States. But the three of us met up. I've seen both of them in between the time, but Jane hadn't seen Ramona for, like, 40 years.
0: Wow. That must have been <laughs> such a moment.
1: Really good fun, actually, because – And hearing Ramona's voice again, because she's got this really strong accent like this, you know, and she's really disdaining, you know, disdainful about things. And it was just great to sit there and listen to that. I was in stitches. Yes. God, well, that's
0: great, isn't it? It's great to have that opportunity to have that moment and emotional processing.
1: I think that's what you should do as you get older is just go and do those things, go and meet those people, go and phone them up, write them a letter, you know
0: and have that moment yes no it's good it's amazing so um, look well look this has been fantastic thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this this has been brilliant and I've so enjoyed the story and it's it's great to um yes I just really appreciate that you said yes actually so thank you and if you want I can always um send you the link and you can always use it on your social media platform site
1: amazing and is there could I sorry to go this way but could I have a recording of it
0: Yes, I can I can just literally I think um we transfer. Do you want the audio as well as the visual? You can.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I don't need the visual. I just lo- I just love a, a tape or a, a stick. Yeah, I
0: room. can I can just once this process is at the end, I'll just we transfer it over and you can I have can
1: use some in my putting my film together.
0: Absolutely. In- that would be no problem. And um so yes
1: yeah, are so- you you do you like anything
0: or occasionally yes but quite a lot of the time people love hearing the story of a band actually they <laughs> they really get oh my goodness that's yeah. amazing I've never heard that person or I'd forgot about them and then you know they hear them from around the world and and it is interesting you know you because it's like you, you weren't that obscure, but there were all really obscure bands who only did a few singles or a few flexi discs. But you know, did a, f- a few years together, and then you put out an interview, and people go, "Oh my god, that band! I didn't realize, I'd forgotten about them." They all
1: so, have great stories, don't they? And they, you know. yeah,
0: I think once you've gone through that process of being in a band and you've had that twelve-month honeymoon, you've yeah. you know, you played a few singles, yeah. you know, you've been on the John Peel show in in our day. And then you've gone around the art centres and the alternative indie nights and then exactly. you've done a Europe tour, you know, and then you've got that first You're album. and
1: the a USA tour and you think, oh, wow, I've really made it, you know. Yes. That's usually it... the death. <laughs> well,
0: that's right. I mean, I didn't realise that, that most people say, oh, we did America and came back and yeah. broke up. Yeah. And it's just like, exactly. oh, okay.
1: and it was like, You oh. not go to America for that long with the band and not break up.
0: Yes. I think um... it was – rolo from the wooden tops who once he said you know you had eight hours really horrendous and then one and a half hours on stage which was fantastic but that eight hours kind of gave you that oh my god i can't do this anymore you know <laughs> and um it, and you know members i don't know there was a guy who was in the voice of the beehive just saying he realized that when he had had a long conversation with someone in the looking at the mirror that he'd really lost the plot and he thought i've just got to stop because i've gone completely bonkers I think
1: I was really lucky I think there's something about being a drummer you're usually the more sensible one um and you're kind of at the back observing as well I really like that about it and I've got a lot of photos from the back of the stage in all kinds of places all kinds of setups and different towns and things I love that yes Um, and I never got into that whole I was really excited about meeting other people in bands only because I loved hearing about the way they work and like that, you know, the same thing, and and meeting if they were nice people. There's a lot of very nice people in bands as well, you know, so you have to kind of pick and choose. But what's been really lucky for me is all the people I've worked with have been people that um, I agree with their politics, I agree with their ethics, um, you know, and that's been a real key for me going through all the things I've done. I couldn't work with a band that did it just for the money or this reason or the fame or whatever you know you've got to have something to say I think that's what music's for
0: yes absolutely no it was so it was so important especially I'm sure it is now but I'm you know I'm, I'm not so that general I don't know anyways it's different when you're younger and the 80s was you, you know you know you yeah. just had that yeah but
1: it was great for me because I would work for a year or maybe two with a band and then move on like yeah. that's dead you know, I'd go do another album for somebody else and a tour for somebody else. And and so I never got stale or bored with it, really.
0: Indeed. That, dear listener, is so true. And a massive thank you. Well, we'll leave it there. But that's a massive thank you to June Miles Kingston for giving me the time for that interview, talking about her life in music, art, filmmaking, and much more. This has been the C86 Show, David Eastall. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C86 Show. And these interviews have all been archived. Aren't you lucky? You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. It's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.